Can you say radio? Radio. Radio. Can you say radio imagination? Radio imagination. Radio imagination. Very nice. <laughs> say, <laughs> say radio. Can you say radio? Radio. Yeah. Welcome to Radio Imagination. This is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of the author Octavia E. Butler. I read about people and the different ways of being human. And you can't really do that unless you write about a lot of different kinds of people. She was a science fiction writer born in Pasadena, California. I think I had one choice, well, two choices. I could become a writer or I could die really young. I'm Savannah Wood. This year, a decade after Butler's death, a group of artists and writers will explore her archives at the Huntington Library and bring you a series of performances, film screenings, and literary events produced by Clock Shop, an arts organization in Los Angeles. Today, we have Mendy and Keith Obadike and Connie Samaras. They are three of the artists we've commissioned to make new work inspired by Octavia Butler's archive. Mendy and Keith have worked collaboratively for the past 20 years using sound to investigate histories, trigger memory, and draw connections between seemingly unrelated subjects. I'm Mendy Obadike. I'm Keith Obadike. And we work together. We are artists. Um, We've been working together about 20 years. Um, We worked separately before then, but... This is our gig now. <laughs> <laughs> How does that process of collaboration go? It's different with every project. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I think that's consistent is we have an ongoing conversation about a lot of things that we might do. Mm. So when we start to do that, we have a long history with the idea already. Um, would you say that? I think dialogue is like the consistent thing that makes collaboration happen. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys work in sound quite a bit. We are always dealing with sound. Sound is always affecting us. And we think a lot about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we think a lot about how whatever we're doing is related to the ways that people listen Mm -hmm. to speech, to music, um, to the secondary sounds, you know, things people experience as secondary in film or theater. Um, So there are a lot of abstract sounds that people um, live with every day in popular music, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that Keith had a lot of experience with. So the question is is really like how to focus people's attention and, and allow the thing that already happens to happen. You guys have been in the archive all week. Yes. What's your experience been like just physically being there as humans and then I also want to know yeah. what you're um, what you're attracted to in there, and like what objects you've found that are really interesting. Archives can be generally sort of intoxicating, mm-hmm. but certainly Octavia Butler stuff um, is the richest yeah. that the, the we've dealt with so far. Um, Why is that? Well, she she, she documents a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot. Well, a couple of things for me, like she writes a lot about what she's thinking about thinking. Mm -hmm. And so that's amazing. And then there's also just little, little things that might not be interesting to anyone else, but it relates to something that I'm thinking about. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of little notes that I I can't even decipher that are interesting to me. And then there's a lot about her process of writing, of teaching, of talking, of being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think while we've looked at archives before and maybe other artists' papers, I don't know if we've dealt with anyone else who there's so much intentionality around 
her archiving. Now, I don't know that she meant for other people, or certainly other artists, to look at her materials, mm-hmm. but it was an archive for herself. And so that's part of the yeah. the the joy of like looking through the stuff, mm-hmm. um, seeing her creative process, seeing her archiving as, as a creative work. As you're reading, how do you arrive at sound from this? You know, um, one thing that sound is really good at, you know, all all of these materials and forms they have certain strengths, and, and sound is good at dealing with memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I was, I was just saying the way I think about sound is is not so much about the literal sounds, mm. but more about um, listening, like how to direct listening around ideas. Mm-hmm. So when I say everything has sound, yeah. it just means like any idea can have a have can have a listening experience directed around it. So we've gotten really deep into some of her early writing and looking at how those themes reoccur. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to get sort of, you know, caught up in the world and, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to see somebody write the life that they want. I mean, that's basically what she's doing over time, yes. right? So, so, so she's creating this life that she wants through, uh, through making her stories, but, you know, through journaling, mm-hmm. through her aphorisms, through all of those things. Mm-hmm, and and yeah. that's just amazing to watch, Yeah, you know? That was Mendy and Keith Obadike, sound artists commissioned for Radio Imagination. Connie Samaras is a photographer whose work explores the science, fictive, and political landscapes that we live in. She was one of the first artists to work in Butler's archive at the Huntington. My name is Connie Samaras. I'm an artist. I write a little bit. And um, I'm also a professor in the art department at UC Irvine. And my work is primarily in photography and video. And uh, the way I characterize it over the years, although I deal with um, different kinds of aesthetic forms, is that I deal with uh, psychological and political geographies in the everyday Mm -hmm. and uh, speculative landscapes. And my work has been deeply influenced by science fiction for many years. You must be having a field day in her archives. And I know that you were working in the archives before we even approached you to do this project. So how long have you been working with her papers at the Huntington? Well, what's interesting is I tried to get into the, to see the papers for three years. I mean, originally I approached the head librarian because uh, you need a PhD in American literature to access her papers. But eventually, uh, through talking with Natalie Russell, the curator, it was Sue Hudson the head librarian um, and uh, or the director and um, a few of the curators at the Huntington uh, I was allowed in but at the same time simultaneously uh, you and uh, Julia mm-hmm. started doing this project and so it was really coincided when you were first letting oh, okay. you got artists admitted in because the papers weren't public for three years mm-hmm. but uh, but I, I want to say that I find that very exciting that to be, uh, that it's not my like individual project as an artist to work on Octavia Butler, because the art world is so geared for uh, 
that a subject is currency in your work, mm. and whoever hits the button first is known for that kind right. of work. Right. But instead, this is the best uh, possible situation because it's a community of artists working. The sort of exchange of information, and not just with Tiza and Linnell, but um, also other younger scholars coming in to look at the Butler archives, mm-hmm. that we would end up having lunch and talking with each other and exchanging information. And it, it was just phenomenal. And I have to actually credit Linnell George for finding a, a central quote, a, a, a quote from Butler's works that's central to the idea I'm working with. And uh, I said, well, you know, Linnell, I think my idea is going to be very simple, which is to have uh, overlay literally the papers about the 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 um, artifacts that I'm finding, mm-hmm. both the photographs and some of her writings, mm-hmm. literally over the gardens and having mm-hmm. Butler inhabit these gardens and the garden at the Huntington. At the Huntington. Yes. Linnell said, oh, you can't believe this, but I found this quote this morning, and it's, um, it's a quote about Butler talking about herself as a ghost. Oh, wow. What have you been most attracted to in the archive when you're looking through the finding aids, when you're thinking about what you wanted to find when you go there? Yeah. What popped out and what, what said to you, oh, I have to see this? Well, initially, my very and I started looking at the archives in uh, June of last year, mm-hmm. was to look at all the photographs. Mm. And she loved taking pictures. And uh, um, so I was particularly interested in uh, personal pictures, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. there's not a lot. There are some, but I don't know who some of these people are. And, uh, but also I was very interested in the photographs that she took uh, in the Amazon in preparation for the Xenogenesis series. Yes. Uh, and one of the things that occurred to me as I was looking at these was that the way the Huntington tries to recreate this imaginary. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Huntington Gardens, are they're much more complex than this, but the, part of it is creating this imaginary of what gardens look in other parts of the world. And I've been there many times, and I thought, oh, the tropical gardens. Mm-hmm. And I found a picture of Butler in front of a tree that was the same tree exists. Uh, at the Huntington, mm-hmm. so, uh, and I have to thank Jenny Watts, the curator of photography, for driving me around in a golf cart to <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, these things. <laughs> but, uh, but what struck me is that here is uh, Huntington creating these imaginaries of gardens in other parts of the world, and here's Butler traveling to the Amazon in the tropics to create an imaginary for uh, uh, a futuristic alien spaceship. Yeah, I'm also doing research on the papers of uh, Joanna Russ mm. and James Tiptree Jr. Who mm. Tiptree wrote is uh, this is our correspondence in the '70s. Russ, Joanna Russ was, was probably one of the best known early feminists. I mean, second wave feminist science fiction writers. And uh, Tiptree was known for his his treatment is that he was a feminist man, that he could write women characters in his science fiction. And it's a long story about both of them, but Tiptree turned out to be Alice Sheldon, and mm-hmm. nobody knew he was a, a, a woman for 10 years. Right. And so Russ is thinking that she's writing a man, and they're 20 years apart, so they're arguing about gender and sexuality and, and racism, and, all, and they're from different classes. But the thing why I'm mentioning this is that... Uh, 
And I think anybody who does archival research extensively starts to find that there's a way you feel like you're conjuring the mm. person you're talking, mm-hmm. you're looking at. And Joanna and Tiptree <laughs> never stop talking. <laughs> that's why I feel like my relationship, they're always like yammering at me, like, go look at that and do this. But that's not the sense I have in Butler's, which mm. is a quiet unfolding. But when you ask about a surprise, uh, I, there's a novel that's unpublished, the manuscript for it's called Blindsight, mm. and I think she wrote it after Survivor and, uh, um, and before the Xenogenesis series, or what's called Lilith's Bird now. And Sammy Schlack, I think you can pronounce her last name, she's a scholar uh, at the State University of New York, was doing research, and she told me about this novel, and... Uh, that was incredible mm. to read something. I've read everything she's written, but to have a, and one of the saddest things when she died for many, many, many of her fans was that you'd never read anything by her again. Right. Right. So it was, it was stunning to read this novel. And um, I thought it was phenomenal, mm. but mm-hmm. she couldn't get it published. And there's many things of that novel <laughs> that, that stick with me and that reappear later. If you could ask her one question today, what what do you think that would be? I mean, if uh, I would ask her about the uh, her her interest in multiple sex partners and and uh, and the way she um, is always overcoming uh, the limitation of our physical bodies. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to talk to her <laughs> about where these come from, because it appears over and over again in the archives. Like, she's often talking about three, five, and and sort of the necessity to survive. I mean, I mean for somebody who was always who's single, um, that for her, her characters or the people she conjured. Yeah. Um, they always had to be in relationship in communities or with other people. That's true. I'm thinking through her bibliography. It's just like I'm thinking about um, Wild Seed and Doro, for instance, or Anyanwu and all of the different people that are involved in their lives. Um, thinking about Lilith's Brood and all of the ways that there's a community of sexual partners and how the family all takes care of everybody. And there's not so much of a taboo around it once they learn. Um, and yeah. in uh, Parable of the Sower, you have the family units where it's one man and several women, you know, and, and going on into Parable of Talent, same thing. Yeah. So it is really fascinating. It does seem to show up in so many of her novels, something yeah. that she's teasing out and working through. I've been looking at, uh, more recently, the journals from the last years of her life, and mm-hmm. I found two things. Uh, one was a series of photographs she took after moving up to Washington, and uh, of found writing in the streets. And, you know, that was interesting. Yeah. Right. And so it, what I was saying earlier about her writing, it, it's I'm trying to look for a way to incorporate her physical and lexical writing because, uh, you know, archives are like piecing together a huge puzzle. Mm. If you're trying to create something specific, this is what historians do. And it's, you know, not that they come up with a singular way of 
talking about history, but but making recreating uh, a piece of history. Um, I think artistically, um, I'm interested in taking disparate pieces and kind of creating this intervention mm. into reality, and which is what science fiction and speculative fiction does. Yeah. Radio Imagination is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of Octavia E. Butler. It's all being produced by Clock Shop. We're a nonprofit organization that works at the intersection of culture, politics, and urban space in Los Angeles. On October 1st, 2016, new work from Connie Samaras and Mendy and Keith Obadike will premiere in our Radio Imagination exhibition at the Armory Center for the Arts. Visit clockshop.org to see the full list of our live events around Los Angeles and to see videos of Octavia Butler and the people who knew her. While there, you can also sign up for an email newsletter to get updates on this project. Thanks for listening. I'm Savannah Wood.